Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. We are going to hold a mundo today. I'm going to speak for a little bit about uh, a case from the Denkoloku and then open it up uh, for a discussion. So this is uh, from the Denkoloku case 22, Vasubandhu. One day, Jayata said to Vasubandhu, even though I may not seek after enlightenment, I do not act contrary to it. Even though I may not be doing prostrations before the Buddha, I am not spiritually negligent. Even though I may not be sitting in meditation, I am not lazy. Even though I may not eat just one meal a day, I am not gluttonous. Even though I may not know what is enough, I am not covetous. In my heart, there is nothing that I seek. I call this the way. When Vasubandhu heard this, he realized the wisdom that is free from all defilements and desires. Kazan's Commentary The disciples of the Buddha set up various kinds of pure regulations to show the disciplined behavior of Buddhas and Zen masters. However, Clinging to them obsessively becomes an affliction and a passion. Furthermore, if you must reject birth and death and seek the way beyond, yet cannot cut off the beginningless process of dying in one place and being born in another, what state would you consider attainment of the way? Yet you want to seek the way while being caught up in all these things. It is all misunderstanding. Kazan's verse. The wind transverses the vast sky. Clouds emerge from the mountains. Feelings of enlightenment and things of the world are of no concern at all. So during the last two talks, I spoke about the importance of maintaining the vigor and discipline in our practice and about the strength and sustenance we can draw from studying the Buddha Dharma while being a part of a lineage. And so today I would like us to use Vasubandhu's story to examine how do we understand the discipline or what is discipline in relation to formal Zen practice and how can we use discernment so we don't get too uptight about our practice or take it too lightly and slack off. So this koan, this case, is, is from a book titled Transmission of the Light, the Denkoloku. It is a collection of 53 short biographies of successive Buddhist masters, beginning with the Buddha and ending with Kun Ejo, who was Dogen's successor in Japan. And it offers a good representation of the evolution for our, of our tradition from classic Buddhist teachings in India to the inception of Zen in China and then to the beginning of the Japanese Soto school. The book is compiled by Keizan Jokin, who was the great-grandson of Dogen, and who wrote commentaries and a verse for each of these cases. If you may remember, a couple of weeks ago I spoke about uh, Keizan, I, I brought up a, a quote about Keizan and Dogen uh, in relation to one, two, two wheels of one cart. So how do we maintain that? 
And this case, this particular case, brings up an encounter between Jayata, who was a teacher in a direct succession of the Buddha, 20th generation after the Buddha died, and Vasubandhu, who was already ordained at that time and was leading a congregation of practitioners. And it is said that Vasubandhu took only one meal a day and never lay down. Six times a day he made prostrations to the Buddha. He was known by his disciple to be self-restrained and without any desires. So from this description, obviously Vasubandhu definitely appears to be a devoted practitioner. But was he devoted to the practice or to his idea of what formal practice looks like? So it is said that Jayata, preparing to lead him to the other shore, began by questioning Vasubandhu's followers. And he said, This busy ascetic is able to practice morality, but is he capable of finding the Buddha's path of, to enlightenment? And the crowd replied, Our teacher is diligence itself. Why could he not? And Jayata then said, Your teacher is far from the path. Even if he were to practice his asceticism for endless kalpas, it would be nothing but a source of vain delusion. Uh, kalpa, if you don't know, or don't remember, is a very long time. And it has been described as, imagine a, a hundred mile tall mountain, iron mountain. And uh, every hundred years, um, somebody comes over and brushes it with a feather every hundred years. A kalpa is the time it will take for this iron mountain to be completely disintegrated. It's a very long time. So then Jayata went on to say, Do you understand my words? My reasons for saying this about your teacher is that his search for enlightenment is too eager. If the harp string is too tight, it will snap. Therefore, I did not praise him, but made him abide in the state of peace and enter the knowledge of all Buddhas. And then Kezan said in the commentary, If you think there is Buddhahood to attain and a way to find, and if you fast and do ascetic practices with that thought, or sit for long periods of time without lying down, or do prostrations and recite scriptures for the sake of building up merits and attaining the way. All of it is raining flowers in a flowerless sky. Even though you pass eons this way, you will never experience a bit of liberation. Indeed, not craving anything is called the way. So even if it is contentment you want, this is still based on greed. Therefore, every one of these practices is based on delusion. It is not your original self. And then he said, what the, the disciples of the Buddha set up various kinds of pure regulations to show the disciplined behavior of Buddhas and Zen masters. Clinging to them obsessively becomes an affliction in the mind. What state would you consider attainment of the way? Yet, you want to attain the way while still being caught up in all these thoughts, all these things. This is all a misunderstanding. 
For this reason, though we speak of overturning delusion to attain enlightenment, or of transforming ordinary people into sages, all this talk is for people who are not yet enlightened. What ordinariness is there to transform? What delusion is there to awaken from? This is a very important question. What delusions are we trying to awaken from? What do we consider an obstacle for realization? Right now, today, what is our obstacle? Is it an obstacle? And then he goes on to quote Master Jianshan, who said, Clearly, there is no phenomenon of enlightenment. The doctrine of enlightenment deludes people. So stretch out your legs and sleep. There is no falsehood and no reality. The essence of the way is truly like this. Then, Keizan says, when Vasubandhu heard Jayata's teaching, he realized uncontaminated knowledge. And then he adds, if you... You, us, today, want to realize uncontaminated knowledge, you should maintain your true self. If you want to maintain your true self, you should know that from birth and death, it is just this. As Ejo Dogen's Dharma here said, if you want to be a person of suchness, practice suchness without delay. Being that you are already such a person, why worry about such a thing? So after Vasubandhu experienced realization, he wrote a few verses to express it, and here are two examples. He wrote, Nothing is born, nothing dies, nothing to hold on to, nothing to release. Samsara is nirvana, there is nothing to attain. And then the second verse, When we realize that afflictions are none other than enlightenment, we can ride the waves of birth and death in peace. Traveling in the boat of compassion on the ocean of delusion. Traveling the boat of compassion on the ocean of delusion. Not outside of it. Smiling the smile of non-fear. So Vasubandhu realized that he tied himself up with his own interpretations of formal practice. Actually, Dogen said the same thing and used discipline in a rigid way. So after meeting Shayata, he was able to drop his ideas, loosen up, and change the way he was practicing. But it can be as easy to get tied up with the idea of doing nothing or loosening up. So to be devoted to the path does not mean to be devoted to the way we think it's supposed to look like or we are supposed to look like or to be devoted to a fixed idea of it. If that was the case, then there will be no path of liberation to speak of. Right? It's supposed to be liberating, not tie us down. And there will be no practice tradition. We will only transmigrate from one set of ideas to another. So to be devoted to the practice or to this practice tradition, that teaches non-abiding and non-dwelling means to keep examining the mechanisms of attachment and our tendency to create fixed ideas and dwell in them. And that's where our practice is at. 
And this is what we are devoted to as practitioners. We're not looking for a set of guidelines that will tell us exactly how to meet each moment, what kind of clothes we are supposed to put on at that time, what should we say, how will we feel, what kind of environment and circumstances we will encounter, or what kind of karma we carry. Oh, who we will meet along the way. It is wide open. It is essentially unpredictable. Which means that we too need to be wide open and unpredictable. So the correct way to practice discipline, to understand what discipline means, is not too tight, not too loose. So when practicing just being, just being, Discipline means staying with the intimacy of the moment without following thoughts, without getting involved in, the, in displacement activities, and without feeling guilty about not being productive, without feeling bad about putting the feet up and doing nothing. And doing nothing in terms of experimentation is not zazen. There is something that we do in Zazen. It's different practice. Putting the feet up, especially now, we have a couple more weeks of summer. What does it look like? How can we experience intimacy with each passing moment? So how do, how do you, how do we use discernment to, to detect when you're getting too uptight about your practice or Take it lightly and slack off. How do you know when you're beginning to drift too far in either direction? Do we see the connection between discipline and deep intimacy with any mundane chores around the house? So those are the questions I want us to, to look at, or maybe you can make it one question. How do we practice all the time, all the time, whether we are engaged in, we have a, an angle coming up, and angle is all about tightening it up, it's all about raising the temperature of the heat under our butts. But now, before angle, do we wait for that? How do we practice this today, pre-angle? What does that look like? So, unmute, speak. Anyone? All right, so, yeah, who's that? Uh, it's Ari. Ari, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thank you for sharing this practice. I got to practice pre-ango uh, this morning when the sun came up and I looked around and uh, noticed that <clears throat> uh, I, my mind was doing this comparing 
comparing the <clears throat> the national forest here with other ones that I've been in and and I just watched my self sort of spin out uh, in suffering and not for very long. I, I got to, oh, I sure miss the Rocky, the majestic Rocky Mountains. Where the fuck am I? <laughs> There's no mountains here, you know? And, um, and I just got to notice, you know, that um, the comparing uh, it took me out of being present to this beautiful forest that I was in and, and, and all of the, the nature spirits that go with that. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A good point comparing, right? One way to, uh, to create gaps, one way to, uh, to begin endless suffering bringing comparisons, raising standards, holding on to standards. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not what I'm supposed to feel right now, where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no appreciation there. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Thank you. All right, who's next? Um. Yogan here. Good morning, everyone. It's really good to see all of you. Um, during uh, Junryu's talk, I was thinking mostly about clinging to or not clinging to feeling rejected. Um, like this person is supposed to reject me or clinging to the feeling of being rejected and that brings a, a load of suffering actually and it brings a huge burden to me personally um, because you know I've been through a lot of experiences where I have felt rejected and I find myself uh, at times wallowing in it and thinking that um, this other person is rejecting me or this other group of people is rejecting me and it's not. And then clinging to that and clinging to that feeling and feeling lost when I don't cling to it. Um, and that feeling of lostness just creates um, a feeling, oddly enough, a feeling of uh, peace and unity, uh, feeling like, well, I don't have to be rejected or not rejected. Is there anything there to be rejected? So I was thinking of that uh, during, during the talk. So how does discipline look like when we meet uh, feelings of rejection? Um, maybe not being so hard on who I am and how I express myself. Um, and being mindful of other people's perception of me 
and my perception is all thought and it's all suffering um and instead of rejecting myself and rejecting there is nothing to reject Mm -hmm. so feeling um feeling that i need to be disciplined in being kind to myself and to whoever um whoever is putting me in that position too because i can be that person too Mm -hmm. just feeling that unity and feeling the feeling the um, connection between us that we are both the same even though we're different um and easing up on myself i think easing up on myself is the big is the big thing the big idea here Mm -hmm. because i'm very hard on myself and i assume rejection a lot actually i assume rejection even before i talk to people sometimes which is why it's been hard over the years to um, reach out to people because I assume rejection, <laughs> even though it may not be true. It may be, I mean, it's definitely my perception and it's something I grew up with and um, something I got attached to. So yeah. discipline in this case would be easing up on myself. Right. So discipline uh, is an example of, you know, applying discipline as, as, as in, in a gentle way or as gentle energy. Right. So and also to to experience the intimacy of just being right, because when we do experience intimacy, intimacy of just being, then there is nothing missing. There's really nothing missing. Right. When we get caught up in in, in doing, running around and doing and uh, in a way trying to justify our existence by doing, by being productive. It creates this sense of anxiety. I got to keep doing to maintain my value or my value is measured by how much I do. But what about, what about a value that can never be measured? What if it is immeasurable? Right? And how do we get in touch with that? And if we don't get in touch with that just simply by resting in being, we will never find peace or we will never find long-lasting sense of uh, peace and equanimity because there's always the question of is this enough? Am I doing enough? Have I achieved enough? Have I arrived? What does the world think of me? So to practice just being Realize, to truly realize that nothing is ever missing right now. Even when we don't feel, even when we feel damaged, and often we do feel damaged, still, that's a feeling. But then to verify that feeling, we have to go to being. We have to turn towards being. And then in being is simply not true. This notion is there, but it's simply not, it is seen as false. It is recognized as false. So, yeah, thank you. Okay, who's next? Yes. I want to say something. Uh, so, Miho, then Joan. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. Thank Morning. you for sharing. That's That was really deep and nice, and I felt connected in many ways um, with both of you. 
Um, when it comes to discipline, I do have a lot of resistance to it because of what what the meaning of or concept of discipline I have um, since I was little, I guess. And it always felt like something negative or something, you know, I was always think of the military or things like that. And my mind will go there and therefore create resistance because it felt something that, you know, is going to push me to do things I don't want to do. That kind of type of relationship with discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the Dharma and the practice itself, I found that I don't give myself credit enough in terms of discipline. And I use this affirmation of I'm not disciplined or I can't be disciplined or I don't want to be disciplined. But I've been in this path for a while and and I've been consistent. And I think that's part of being disciplined as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, like you mentioned in one of, uh, I think it was like three weeks ago, sometimes I don't want to sit. Sometimes I don't want to meditate. Sometimes I want to get away from the Dharma itself, like things happen to me and I want to blame others. And, and it feels like once you're in the path, you can't go back. And I'm like, oh, I wish I just could, you know, be that old self that, you know, blame others. But I can because the Dharma is already within and there's no separation. I can't separate it anymore. Um, but again, the fact that I feel like being consistent, it's something that, it's part of discipline. It's one of the branches of discipline because somehow when I feel I'm lacking off or I'm getting off track, it's always, there's always something. It's either a Dharma friend that comes and talk or is my teacher giving a talk that I feel very touched by or, you know, um, or even my family members, my husband or my some friends, like it, it always comes back and, and it struck me and brings me back on track. So it's part of that trust too. But that happens because because of my consistency and and that means being willing to be here and and accept, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like with this angle coming up of acceptance, I I think one of the things to, you know, in in order to obviously deepen that discipline and, and truly and, and understand it deeper which that's what I, I would like is just simply accept that, okay, I didn't have it. And there's a, a misconception about it. Now just open up to see what comes. And another thing is I found that in my practice, the, the discipline comes in me putting myself in things that I guess my small self don't want to do. <laughs> like going to an old day sitting sometimes and be like, oh, my knees are going to hurt so much. Mm-hmm. And, and listen to all these thoughts and be like, okay, it doesn't matter. You just go and then we'll figure it out there. Um, and now the angle for me is going to be huge because, you know, um, but then again, it's like a part of me that's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do this. This is a huge commitment. And yet, obviously, I know some, a part of me knows that, hey, this is the best opportunity for you to really deepen into that discipline and, and get that consistency going. Mm-hmm. Um to be reliable for others and myself. So again, there is a lot to work in the discipline in the practice, just letting go of these misconceptions and transform or transmute that into what it really is. Um, it, it works on my on our favor, mm-hmm. but I see it against me and somehow, you know? Yeah. 
that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you. And, and uh, so you started by saying that uh, there is resistance to the word discipline, right? So there is, uh, it's very common to resistance to the word discipline or the word commitment, for example, right? But, but we, have to, we have to be willing to look at it further because what we are resisting is not what the word means. It's what we have already embedded in us as an interpretation of what that is from past experiences, right? And there is obviously resistance. But if we go along with that and we say, no, I don't like that, then there is, we just go around in circles. There's never any breakthrough or any change because we are just fortifying what we already know, what we already have experienced. How can we want to have new experiences if we keep fortifying and justifying past experiences, right? So there is that. Also, to think certain things about myself, whether I'm worthy or not worthy, those can be also fixed ideas that we, we have to challenge. We have to examine that. Yes, I know I feel this way, but so what? It doesn't, or does it prevent me for, from taking a step and uh, trying something different, right? How do, I, how do I really look at that and truly ask, is that, true? Is that really what's going on? Right, so yeah, there's a lot there. And then uh, one last thing about military. Uh, military is interesting. I mean, I, I spent three years in military, not because I chose to, because I had no choice. But, uh, but I do have to say one thing about it. You know, sometimes I see people and I think to myself, a few years in the military would do a lot of good to them. Uh, and uh, not because military is great, it's not at all. It's just that when you have no choice, you actually rise to the occasion and you realize that you are way more capable than you think. Way more capable than you think. Uh, emotionally and physically. And, uh, and, 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 and often until we are presented with such uh, circumstances that we have no choice, we don't know that. We don't know that. And we, we, we actually cave in to, uh, to what we think and feel. So when you, when you are presented with, with a task or tasks that you know if you're not going to do that, you will go to jail. You find it in you. You find it in you. And, and that's what's, that's the one positive thing that I, I can say that military can actually uh, contribute to. So anyway, thank you. How do you bring that to? Uh, Joan. Hi, everyone. Thank you for Taisho and thank you for the comments. Um, this is in terms of uh, what I heard you say about holding on to standards and expectations creates endless suffering and the beauty of just staying um, with the moment without following thoughts. And what occurred to me is that as a result of my own aging process and as a result of a very traumatic recent death in my family and as a result of um, uh, the COVID-19 reduction in external stimulation, I found myself following a lot of expectations and standards and um, examining the results of a lot of my lifelong choices in different aspects of my life. So it's very uh, inspiring and helpful to, to be reminded that I only have the present moment and uh, what I make of it is what I make of it. And following expectations and what ifs and uh, should haves is not um, constructive. 
Right, but also can you see that you are, in a way, you are that moment that you refer to, and and when you look at it this way, then you realize that you are also, while there are experiences in the past, you're also a blank canvas, mm-hmm. right? So there is that too. It's just that we get so, get so caught up, yeah. then we don't realize the, the, the enormous preciousness, right, and possibilities. We don't realize that there are many possibilities, right? And, and we can realize that by becoming more intimately connected with this. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, who's next? Major, good morning. Good morning, everyone. So, for me, what came up as I was listening to you speak this morning is um, a little little bit of a meltdown that I that I had and and it, it came it came from unexpectedly but it came from from past experiences that you know I, I've had. Uh, first of all they did a survey on the um, on the students to see how their experience learning on Zoom you know was showing up. And I guess some of them must have uh, commented in the surveys that you know perhaps they want the teachers to be a little bit more energetic and a little bit more positive about what's going on. And when I, I heard these words, I took it a little bit personally thinking like, oh my God, is it showing? Is it showing when I'm teaching my students that I'm resisting this whole online teaching thing, you know? I'm like, oh my God, is it showing, you know? And um, and I got a little insecure about it. And I was like, my, I've always, pride myself in making sure that I showed up into my classroom, open arms and and making sure that my students felt comfortable and secure and happy in their learning environment. But I thought that maybe I wasn't hiding it well enough on Zoom. So that was the first thing that I noticed. And obviously I spoke to my director about it and I said, I hope that it wasn't some of my students because if, they, if it is, then I have to step it up a little bit. I have to really work on what it is I need to work on so that I don't show up that way for them. Mm -hmm. And the other incident that happened was that um, one of the uh, learning leaders that we call the teachers, she was working with her class, but she chose to go on vacation around the time of COVID and then came back and she was um, quarantined and all this other stuff. And because of all that, some things in her classroom didn't get done. Some things for her students did not get done. So now I'm, I'm working, doing my job, and then I go look at folders and there's some stuff that was missing in there. Immediately, I had this anger. I was so angry because I'm thinking somebody else's lack of commitment, lack of discipline, or the choices they're making, now it's affecting my life. Now I'm going to have to you know, sit there and and uh, make up all the work that she didn't do for her students because I have to make sure that they have the information and that they're prepared when they leave, mm-hmm. you know, because they're paying for an education and they deserve the proper education. And I started, the story was going on and going on and I was just so angry because now more work fell on my lap that I didn't want, obviously. And, um, then I, I just sat there and I said, if I was speaking to my teacher right now, what would he say? 
right? Mm -hmm. Don't go with the story. Don't go with the story they're creating in your head. Look what needs to be done and go into action. Don't think, just do. So I was like, oh my God. All right, let's do. What do I need to do to make sure that these young ladies that are gonna graduate my class have everything, their assessments and everything done? So immediately I called up the director of education. I says, we need to schedule some time for me to go into the school. I need to see how these girls are doing. I need to give them what they need. And I need to make sure that when they leave my class, when they leave the school, they leave prepared. And it was such a moment, I, I must say, because I went from this extreme emotion to this other emotion that was like really rewarding, really calm. And I said, all right. So sometimes I don't know why I'm sitting on that cushion for so many hours. Sometimes I don't know if I'm growing. I don't know if I'm deepening my, you know, my practice, I don't know exactly what it is that I'm supposed to be trying to reach, but if it has to do with this moment, then I'm in, then I'm in. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. You're in, you're fully in, that's good. So so that's a, a good example of how do we, and the question, how do we meet, uh, how do we meet challenges without the tension, without the anxiety, yeah. right? Uh, and and does in in cases like that does discipline means uptightness, right? And anxiety and all all the other stuff that we experience. Is it possible to maintain something more like a structural tension without being caught up in it emotionally and psychologically, right? And yes. without equating ourselves with either the work or the perceived result. Right. Exactly. So, so and, and that, that is a good question for us, right? Because it, it is possible. It is possible to maintain high level of discipline, commitment and uh, engagement without high level of uh, anxiety and stress. Yeah. And that is a challenge. I mean, it definitely is a challenge. Right. But 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 it has to do with how we approach it. What is it that we are looking to verify? Right. Is it about. Uh, finding something or is it about expressing something right if 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 finding something is realized I don't have to find anything just I don't have to look for anything right it's done <clears throat> then it eases up things and then more energy is able to be devoted to the task without being too vested in what we think it should be or what we are afraid it will not be so then the fear actually goes away. As he said in the verse, uh, smiling the smile of non-fear. Right? So, and that's what is meant by that. Right? It's being actually more engaged without looking, without looking the part actually. Often we think that if we frown and we fume and the face is red, it looks like we are, people see that we really care. And it's not like that at all. It's just that we have created this idea of the more upset we are, the more caring we are. And it's just not true. No. It's, not, it's just not true. You could be very calm. You can appear very calm and very composed 
and at the same time care deeply and be more effective. That's the irony of that. Actually be a lot more effective when yes. you are less taken up by what happens. Right? And, that's, and that has to do with, actually that has to do with, with how tightly we are connected with, uh, with being. Right? We, how, how deeply do we realize what it means to rest in being. So, yeah, we got to work cut out for us. Thank mm -hmm. you. Who's next? Hey, how are you? Morning. Morning. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, I was hearing Basha's story and uh, I immediately thought about um, one of the vows we take, which I always like very much the, the word in it which is uh, turning anger into compassionate action. And, uh, and I always like that because it's um, such a powerful way of saying it's, it's not about um, rejecting anger. It's not about not being angry. It's not about that. It's turning anger into compassionate action. And, and, and it's interesting saying because it, it did happen to me a couple of times and it seems like what Misha was talking was exactly an example of that. And I wanted to, to kind of point that out. Um, Regarding discipline, and um, I think, you know, discipline is what I call the times I force myself to do something I don't want to do. You know, that's kind of how I, how I engage with that word. I mean, it doesn't have a lot of connotations um, to me more than that. That kind of, oh, I should be probably doing this and I don't want to do it. And, uh, and it's a hard decision making because sometimes, you know, how much of, of that sensation of lacking or, or sensation of I should be doing this is driving my action, you know, and how much is true, how much is I'm lazy, how much is not, I'm just kind of being too uptight about it. And, and right effort has always been very, very tough to define as in any balancing act. And I think, you know, that's kind of the hardest part of, of Zen practice is that it's not asking you to do anything in particular, but to balance it out all the time, to be equanimous about it. And, and that is hard because I mean, sometimes you don't know what exactly is the medium of things that you're doing, how, how you kind of go in exactly the middle and not one way or the other. I don't think we can actually, we just kind of need to be correcting. And the only thing that I notice is that, I mean, you know when it's time to just move instead of ruminate if you want or not want. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's kind of the, the, the thing I use the most. And, and then sometimes I fail, sometimes I kind of just give in to that laziness. Mm -hmm. And then the day, you know, the moment I do that, I don't bum myself about it next moment. I mean, I just kind of go and do it. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's kind, of, that's kind of how you practice. I mean, sometimes you will I mean, this is uh, like something that you try to do and sometimes you fail. Yeah, sometimes we just give in. Sometimes we don't, we don't, are, we are not up to the discipline we should have. Um, but then, you know, but next time we are. And uh, it doesn't mean that we, we don't have that power every time. It just means that sometimes we disconnect with it and uh, we shouldn't be linking into, into that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, Sean's story about, you know, how do we, 
do we measure things? I mean, I was I was mentioning that as as I getting older, you start having so much stories to measure things by. You know, you have more of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you start kind of comparing things. Okay, I used to feel this way, and now I don't. And I used, I mean, and I think that way was better, and now my way is not so good as it was. And uh, and sometimes it's because you know you're just getting older, you're just getting tired, or whatever it is. You know, it doesn't matter. And uh, but but we do compare a lot more, and uh, and I do find myself comparing more, um, which I think it's it's counterproductive also. So I wanted to kind of reach out to those two things I heard, and also speak about what I do with discipline. Is is that? It's just I guess connecting to. To myself, I find it very hard. For instance, discipline in in same practice is has been easier for me. Um, discipline in do some gym that is hard for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really doing a, you know kind of doing crunch. No, I don't really like that, and and it's a, it's it's a, it's very hard for me to get the discipline to do it because I know it's something that I you know should be doing, and so. So it's not. I mean, it's interesting because we consider that not same practice. I just said that, mm-hmm. but uh, but it is. Mm-hmm. It's the same practice. It's the everyday practice, you know. And uh, and so whenever you know, I, I find it easy to see. It. It's not that I am better practitioner. If I find it very very hard to overcome my negative on on doing crunches, you know. And uh, and so that's kind of what I'm working right now. How, how to do crunches with smile. Um, yeah. Like when I'm sitting with a smile, you know, how to do crunches with a smile. Yeah, thank you. Right. So, so, and to examine. So, if if one thing is easy, then that's fine. That's taken care of, right? I'm gonna keep doing it. But then to look at where I personally get caught up, where I personally need to apply some right effort, right? And what does it look like? But also, how do I not get so reactive to what I think about something, whether I like it or not, right? I may like. I may not like. Uh, but how do I still do it? And then uh, when we do it in this way, when we put aside what we think about it, the doing itself kind of takes care of it. When we get involved in it and then we, we are immersed, not one thing tends to fade away. And it's not so relevant anymore. But, uh, but then again, how do we, uh, so to examine our own reactivities to words, our own reactivities to actions we may not like, uh, to people, to situations. So examine on the go our reactivity and to again and again rest in a sense of interconnectedness, being, whatever we choose to call it, to rest in that. It's always available. Even when we do something we don't like to do, it's always available. So thank you, thank you. Okay, who's next? How about Kyotai? Good morning. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> what this kind of brought up for me. Um, really kind of pertinent for the times that we're in where we think practice looks like something or, you know, we have to be in the zendo, we have to be doing seshin at Dabusatsu. Um, 
And it doesn't have to be that. It has to do with how we live our daily life. And how do we actually create the strength during Ango and the fire you're talking about um, without these things that we think make up practice? Um, and I, I actually think this Ango has potential to be stronger than any of the other ones for that reason, making no separation between life and practice or what we're calling Zen practice. Um, so I guess kind of for me in preparing to go into the Ango period, that's what I'll be reflecting on and thinking, um, how am I gonna make it a, a really strong Ango for myself and what do I think that has to look like. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Kyotai. So as I was, I've been sharing with, with some of you, uh, I feel very excited actually about this, uh, about this Ango, but somebody said you're always excited about Ango. Was that, uh, <sighs> I think it was Sugyoku. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I feel more excited about this one because, uh, first of all, because we've never done it before in this format. So it's definitely brand new. It's definitely uh, venturing into uh, uncharted territories for us as practitioners, uh, formal practice. But, uh, but we have, I think, great opportunities to do something that's, we always talk about, how do we merge uh, everything, how do we merge formal practice with everyday life, right? What we call everyday life or what we call formal practice uh, and sitting. And, uh, and this is a great opportunity to do that because today, these days, what we call formal practice and what we call home are not two things, are physically not two things, right? It's all happening in the same space, literally, right? So, so how, we, how far we take it, uh, as Kyoto said, has to do with us, has to do with uh, what kind of efforts are we applying and uh, also how much are we willing to put on the line? How much are we willing to put on the line? How far are we willing to go with that? So while we are going to create the structure, we're gonna, we have a schedule, uh, events, uh, activities, all these things, uh, at the end of the day, it really is up to each of us how far we go, how deep we go. The potential is absolutely there. So yeah, that will be very interesting to see how each of you experiences that as we go forward. So definitely discipline, uh, maybe to change the way, to change our relationship with some words, to change our relationship with the word discipline, with the word commitment, with the word devotion, with the word devotion. Devotion is also uh, a charged word for some people, right? It could be, uh, either way, it could be a trap. I don't like to be devoted. That word is really, you know, too much for me. Is it, it, a trap. Or I can't wait to be devoted. Is also a trap. So it's not one or the other. It has to do with, with our connotations. With what we bring to meeting the word. So is it possible for us to change the way we, the, the relationship with those words? Going forward. So thank you. Okay, we still have some time. So who's next? I say one more thing about that. Sure. Sorry, it just reminded me. Um, Miyoko during our last ango, uh, as she was mentioning, she doesn't love the word discipline, and she's always felt it very strict and uptight. 
Um, but one of the things she said to me was, you know, during the last algo, because we had such a good relationship, she didn't view uh, any of the times that I was kind of bothering her as a strictness or discipline. It was done with connection and love. And I think that that's part of discipline also. If you're doing it empty just because you have to and you know you have to, um, and it feels completely different than when you're doing it from a place of emptiness or from love. Yeah, it's more inclusive, yes. Right, and that's why that's why uh, he said that you know you could do it for eons and it's not going to amount to anything, right? So you could be uh, disciplined for eons, and it won't change anything, right? Because it's uptight and it's dogmatic, and it really doesn't matter what box we're in, right? You know, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what the box looks like or what colors uh, we paint the box in or what it smells like. It is still a box. Right? And that's the challenge for, for us, for Zen, I think for, for Zen practitioners, because the practice can appear to be uh, uptight or strict. And yes, the, of course, there are those elements, but we really have to understand what that means. Right? And, and the other thing is our discipline. So that's why I ask, what is discipline when we sit and gaze at the ocean, for example, or the sky, or just sit and put our feet up? What does discipline look like? And at moments like that, the, the, the challenge, the discipline has to be applied in staying, 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 not venturing out, you know, not picking up something and you know, reading necessarily at that moment, you know, put that down for a little bit, uh, not thinking about, oh, I got to do the laundry, I got to do this, I got to do that. No, do nothing. Literally do nothing. And this is something that I would like to suggest as homework for the next couple of weeks. Uh, while we are still in this, you know, before getting engaged, whether it's school-related, work-related, some things are going to change in September, obviously, for many of us. So this time to take on a regular daily basis, to take a little time and devote it to doing nothing even if we don't like the word devotion, right? Be devoted to being. What does that look like? And to stay with and, and to develop a deeper sense of intimacy with just being. And it doesn't matter whether we are gazing at, at, at uh, the mountain or in the city. It doesn't matter. It's not less intimate or more intimate or potentially less transformative or more transformative. Everything is essentially as transformative. So, homework for the next couple of weeks. Who's next? We still have about 10 minutes or so. Erica, good morning. Morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for all of what's been shared already. Um, when Junior was speaking about um, the military, and then again just now about practice maybe appearing very rigid, um, it reminded me again of how in Sashin, it is, there is a very clear structure, but that amount of structure, while very disciplined, is also something that you can completely relax into. You don't have to figure things out. You can just relax into it. Mm -hmm. um, and 
And that also reminds me of the notion of freedom. I've been interviewed a couple times and I've, I've been asked to keep logs every couple weeks of the experience of living during a pandemic for an art, like a, uh, an academic archival project. And one of the things that the interviewer asked me about last time we spoke was the notion of freedom, because I had mentioned about uh, a comment that freedom is not necessarily doing whatever you want, whenever you want, um, which is as far as related to our lives and taking it off the cushion, you know, um, not viewing the, the, the necessary uh, need to wear a mask as a restriction of freedom and really uh, starting to understand what's, what liberty and freedom is mm -hmm. um, when we realize that we're so connected. And, uh, and so instead of defining freedom, which people think is the opposite of discipline, uh, mistakenly at times, that instead of freedom being just doing whatever you want, whenever you want, um, freedom could also be seen as doing wholly what you must. And if you are really connected to the Dharma and, and can see the way and the Tao and whether it's some sort of compass or whatever that, you know, whatever's in front of you, what really must be done is what you, you do. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much freedom and liberation in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so obviously what you do changes depending on what the need is in front of you in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But uh, I just thought that that was helpful to share, which is understanding our notion of the term uh, freedom, especially in how it pairs with discipline. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So one thing about that. Uh, so uh, doing what, you know, what you must uh, or you can change that to doing uh, what is needed, what is required, right? Uh, and 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 expressing yourself in that doing, right? So, and the thing, yes, freedom. You know, free, freedom in terms of uh, I do what I want and I avoid what I don't want. It, it, when we look at it in terms of practice, right? So, so we we talk about we talk about we realize interconnectedness of all things. Well, then in that case, then doing what I want includes everybody. Because who am I? Right? If we understand that I and you are actually not, not separated, we are non-dual, then the notion of I'll do whatever I want and I'll avoid whatever I don't want is based on a fallacy. It's just not right. Right? If we understand interconnectedness. So the hell with everybody else, I do whatever I want, is not freedom. One second. It's not freedom, right? As you say. Yeah. So yes. So, so, so to tie that together with understanding of interconnectedness. of, of And uh, also that whatever I want, whenever I want, is really actually being a slave to your desires. Yes. Not free from them. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you. Jürgen. Well, I just uh, wanted to thank Erica for that because, you know, uh, this thought came to me, you know, you can't be free unless the entire Dharma body is free. Um, 
the entire world sangha is free. Uh, like your wrist can't, if, it, if your wrist is handcuffed, your hand, your fingers may be free to move, but the rest of you is not free to move. And uh, you really clarified that for me. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Those are really wonderful. Well, as Vimala Kirti said, I am sick because everybody else is sick. Right? That's, that's correct understanding. And we have resistance to that, obviously, but that's the right understanding. So freedom includes everybody. It's, it's not how we, it's not what we see right now in this country, obviously. Uh, there's all kinds of thoughts and opinions, and, but uh, they're not all-inclusive. They don't come from an understanding of all-inclusiveness. So, a uh, couple of minutes. Anybody else wants to uh, wrap that up? or We're good. Um, I'll go. Yeah, Jasmine. Jasmine, hi. Yes. Um, so, uh, we were talking about discipline. Um, I find that discipline has come very easy to me in life, thankfully. <laughs> um, uh, maybe it was the way I grew up, uh, you know, waking me up early in the morning at five to study, things like that, my mom. So that has come easy. Um, but what has been um, new for me is my um, beingness. Mm -hmm. um, that has never, I wasn't even aware that you can just be <laughs> if that, uh, until I started meditating. Mm -hmm. And even then it took me several months. I, I meditate quite a bit on a daily basis. Um, so um, once that awareness came, first it was just a couple of seconds of beingness. I would intentionally go, um, usually, you know, you follow your breath. That had become um, my discipline, basically. I focused on the breath so much, like it was a project. Um, and then I actually started making an effort to just be for several, several seconds, and now it's growing. And what I've noticed is that is where things start to move. Just when I don't touch anything, when I don't try to manipulate anything, mm. um, when the ease of um, life kind of comes into the picture for me, that's mm -hmm. um, Discipline is not even needed at that point in my mind mm -hmm. at this stage. Um, if I just allow. Um, so that's my comment. Uh, that's my observation from my practice. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and actually it goes very well with our upcoming angle, right? You know, to allow, to accept, to align, to recognize what is already. So thank you, Jasmine. Great. So I'll just end with one line from uh, Master Shido Bunan, who said, Die while alive and be completely dead. Then do whatever you will. All is good. Thank you. <laughs>